G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. If you're concerned about the family budgets, if you have a few extra dollars to invest, uh, we'll talk about some of those things today. Of course, there was big economic news yesterday. Australia has set a world record by celebrating 26 years of economic growth. But as you might expect, the Treasurer, Scott Morrison, is not pulling out all stops and starting to pop champagne bottles in celebration. And you might hope that he has a sober position being the Treasurer because there are always those sorts of fears the country could still face a recession. But overall, there's been 103 quarters since Australia's last technical recession in a world record for the longest uninterrupted period of economic growth. So... How do we feel about our family budget, if that's the case? What what might we be thinking when it comes to how we invest some extra dollars? Well, your opportunity to be part of our conversation today with our special guest, Darren Laudenbach. Darren has been a financial planner of 28 years. He's the founder of God's Money Matters and Business Lift Coaching. He's also soon to be a published author of a book called God's Money Matters. And we'll talk some more about the book a little later on. But uh, due for release, I think the date's 16th of August. And uh, I'm not ask Darren if you can pre-order that in just a few moments. But he runs all sorts of workshops. Uh, we'll have a great conversation, and you're invited to be a part of it on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Our talkback line is open now. If you have a question or you have a comment about the sorts of things we'll discuss today, but a special welcome to you, Darren Lordenback. Thank you, Neil. It's great to be here. Well, Darren, we've had some great conversations uh, over the years, and mm. you know your stuff when it comes to money. Uh, when you get news like we did yesterday, uh, the economic world record is now Australia's. Uh, is that something we should feel confident about or is it something to be a little cautious with? What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's a fantastic reflection of um, governments over the years in their money management um, and probably the RBA as well, um, some of their managers. Um, and it's, it, it is a fantastic reflection, but it also is probably... Uh, a little bit um, of the fact that we are living in a country that God has blessed with um, natural resources that the world has wanted, and um, other countries may not have had that blessing quite as much as us and be able to utilise it in the way we have. So I think that our, our political stability um, has meant that you know, uh, people have been willing to invest in Australia, um, they've been willing to trade with Australia, and I think all those things are fantastic. But, yeah, there's always... This, uh, this little bit of caution in the background to say let's not rest on our laurels and and um, you know, become, <laughs> just assume it's going to continue. Of course, uh, when people use the R word, uh, the recession word, I'm not afraid to talk about it. <laughs> when people do use that R word, uh, the risk, of course, is that confidence comes into question. Uh, and confidence is uh, something that the government relies on in business uh, for investing and for employing staff. Uh, that keeps the economy really buoyant. And uh, and so, you know, you can get a hit to confidence in business. 
But we have the same confidence, don't we, uh, with our family budget. If we feel good about where the economy's going, if we feel good about our own financial position, then we're more inclined to be spending on those items. And, of course, that uh, increases uh, economic uh, economic uh, ac- activity. So uh, your thoughts on, on families and the way we ought to be thinking about that sort of good news? Yeah, it certainly um, is a positive thing for families. And obviously, uh, the government's always concerned about how families are spending their money because obviously that's the, that's part of having the economy turn. It's, it's about businesses being confident in investing um, in things that the consumers are going to buy um, and where they're going to spend their money. So it, it, they're all interrelated. Uh, and so it's very important that um, families have a healthy balance sheet. And it's obviously not something that a lot of families talk about is their family balance sheet. But um, you know, that their their assets exceed their liabilities and their, their income exceeds their expenses. Okay, let's talk about the family balance sheet for a moment because uh, most mm. of us don't even have a budget. Uh, we're not necessarily monitoring how much is coming in and how much is going out. And when we meet someone who actually does all of that, it's, it's like they're, they're, the, uh, they're the exception to the rule. Uh, but that would be probably one of the, uh, one of the key foundations uh, for having a, a good, sound uh, family money management plan is to uh, is to have an idea how much is coming in and how much is going out. Yeah, absolutely correct, Neil. You know, we if we don't have a plan, then we're planning to fail, is the old saying. Um, I think as stewards of God's resources, because at the end of the day, they're all God's, right? So God owns the you know the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything, um, the earth and the, the, you know the universe and everything. So it's all His, and we are stewards of that. Now, if if we had somebody running our money for us as a steward, and they didn't have some kind of a plan for how to manage that money, how confident would we be giving them more money to manage? Um, I'd suggest we wouldn't be very confident. And so it's kind of an interesting thing, because if you think about God sitting there saying, well, I'm going to give you this money to steward, um, these resources that uh, I'm going to allow you to accumulate in some way, shape or form um, through provision of work and and other means. Um, If we don't have a plan on how to use it, then... I think the confidence in giving us more uh, would would be pretty low. In fact, it's one of those biblical foundations, isn't it? Uh, if you can be trusted with a little, God will trust you with a lot. Uh, that mm. sort of faithfulness, that sort of stewardship, and those are those are words that often come into our discussions about finances. And uh, and you know, sometimes it's in one ear and out the other. But for some people, they capture hold of that and they go, you know what, uh, this is. Uh, gods, what I have received, and therefore I do need to be a good steward of it, which means I'm going to be generous giving, but it also means that I'm going to be uh, wise in my money management and also uh, investing it well, uh, which is sometimes one of the areas we don't often talk about. Well, that's quite right. And in fact, it's interesting. Um, I think it was Andy Stanley who said something like he believes that you can't be a fully devoted follower of Jesus and not have your money uh, management nailed. So, um, you know, have a spending plan and, and have a plan on where you're going to spend your money and uh, how you're going to use those resources. I think also, Neil, it's one of those things where if you write something down, it becomes very intentional and, and it becomes, you can, you can adjust things when you write them down and you can, you, it becomes a lot more um, in the front part of your brain, I suppose, where you're thinking about things more. Whereas if you just say, oh, money comes in, money goes out, it just kind of happens. There's no intentionality around it. Well, then how do we know where we could cut some costs and maybe give more? How do we know where we could um, 
you know, be a bit wiser with our money? How do we know where we might be able to get, say, a better mobile plan that gives us, you know, more calls for free or something and it saves us some money? If, if we're not looking at our money and we're not looking at where we're spending it and what our intention is around that, um, then to me that's kind of crazy. It's a little bit like the old bucket full of water, but there's holes in the bottom and the water is streaming out. Is that the sort of way you think, if you're not managing it right, you're not actually mm. plugging the holes? Because the money does seem to escape mm. very easily. Absolutely. And we, how much time do we spend generally on earning this stuff? So surely we could spend a little bit of time on planning where it's going to go. Um, so, yeah, I think a spending plan, otherwise known as a budget, you know, I know that's a, a word that most people think is a swear word these days, but... Having a spending plan or a budget is um, is about intention and uh, having measuring that. Uh, software these days can make help you measure that really easily. Measuring what you're thinking about doing and where you're intending to spend your money, and then um, where you actually spend it, and and lining up the difference and saying, hey, did I nail that or am I you know, overspending in groceries? What do we need to do about that or am I overspending in other areas? And what needs to happen with regards to that? And how do I how do I have a plan of action to, to change behaviours or um, you know, to, to adjust things accordingly? Well, Darren, we're going to talk some more about uh, the, the family finances, the family budget, how to supercharge your family finances in one sense, and we'll talk about where the rubber hits the road and I want to invite listeners to call in and be part of the conversation. You might have a particular scenario you might like to run past our guest today. But let's let's talk about some of the areas, uh, the extra areas we want to talk about today too. It's one thing to just manage your budget, but if you at the end of the week discover you've got a few dollars extra... Uh, you don't want to just perhaps just leave it sitting in the bank earning bank interest. You might want to supercharge that in some way too. So when we talk about having an extra few dollars and what we might do with that uh, by way of getting the best return, uh, issues to do with shares, issues to do with property, and there's all sorts of other investments that people think about. Uh, When we talk about shares and property, which is probably the primary two ways that people do think about investing, uh, what should we be knowing at this point in time in 2017, Darren? Yeah, it's a very good question. Well, I think fundamentally people get it wrong uh, in their focus. Um, uh, can I give you a quick story, Neil? Sure. It's, if, if you and I were going to go in partnership and buy a cafe, and there was a cafe down the road that um, we felt was worthwhile buying, when we were looking at that cafe, what would we be looking at? Would we be looking at the potential for the capital growth of that cafe, where we could sell it later, or would we be looking at the potential income that that cafe could generate? What would your guess be? Well, uh, I think I, my immediate thought might be that I need to have a cafe to earn an income. In the yeah, back of my right. mind, I might be hoping that, uh, that as business is booming and that there's a profit at the end of the week, that somehow or other it'll grow in value. But, but my immediate thought might be that, uh, that you know, I'd need to earn an income. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's what most people would answer, and that's co- absolutely correct. So if we're going to go and buy a cafe, buy a business together, and that, that cafe would be looking at generating an income from that cafe and saying, well, okay, over time if we manage it well, hopefully that income will increase. Um, and so with marketing and other exercises, and um, we can increase sales and hopefully that cafe will, will have a higher income next year than what it did this year. And all other things being equal, therefore, the value of that cafe should go up. So if we pay $300,000 for that cafe 
and it generates a certain amount of income. And next year, it's, it's generating 10% uh, more income. You'd expect that you'd be able to sell all other things being equal, that, 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 that um, cafe to somebody else for 10% more than what we bought it for. And so that's, that's the way that most people buy a business. They, they'll typically buy a business focusing on the income that that business can generate. Now, if we take that scenario and look at the share market, what most people do is they look at buying shares for the capital growth. Yet when we realise what we're doing in the share market, we're buying a share of a business. And so we shouldn't really look at it any differently to what we're looking at in um, the cafe. We're looking at buying a business for cash flow. So if we buy those shares um, with the intention of getting income out of those shares, uh, we're going to be less focused on the daily gyration to the market and we're going to be more focused on the regular stability of those dividends. And it's a much better place to play as far as the psychology of investing is concerned, but also the whole intention. It's about generating passive income over time. And we hope that the shares that we buy, that income over time would increase, and history, history shows that that does, especially in Australia, um, over hundreds of years, not just, well, over 100 years at least, but not just the last 26 years. Um, but that dividend does grow year after year. And so over time, we could expect the value of those shares would grow as well. So when we are talking about investing in shares, uh, there's obviously going to be some sort of tips about how you actually make a good selection of uh, what shares to buy. Is that a, a way that you would talk about? If you, when you, someone comes to you and, and they say, well, I've got a few extra dollars, I'm thinking about investing in shares, where do I start? What's your response, Darren? Yeah, my response would be to uh, typically, again, make sure you're focused on the dividend that shares can produce. But ideally, you'd actually um, look at buying something like an index fund. So traditionally, um, managed fund managers don't actually outperform in Australia the index. So the index is the All Ordinaries Index or the S&P uh, Index in Australia, the 200 Index. And that's that one that gets reported on the news every day. So one of the things you're able to do through a, a couple of different companies is you're able to buy a parcel of shares that represents the Australian market and it might be the top 200 or top 300 shares. And the wonderful thing about that, Neil, is you can buy that for as little as a couple of hundred dollars, really, um, and you're getting a parcel of shares that's represented um, the, the top 200 companies in Australia. So you're not going out there and saying, well, I've got to go and analyse balance sheets and cash flows and forecasts and you know, analysts' opinions and all sorts of things to try to make a decision which can end up with analysis paralysis. What we end up with in that type of scenario is we can just simply buy the market and if we buy it and we can send and forget it then um, and just look at the cash flow, the income that comes from that, uh, we're getting the representation of the top 200 mark, um, shares in the Australian market, for example. Those, those are called index funds. All right. We'll talk some more about index funds, and uh, there may be some questions from listeners. one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. If you'd like to pose a question, you might have a scenario. You might be thinking, uh, "What should I do with an extra few dollars?" Uh, there might be some ideas to be offered today. We'll come back and talk some more about shares. Let's talk a little about property because uh, people talk about the property market and overheating, and you can't get a house for less than a million dollars in Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, what about property investments? Uh, what your thoughts, Darren? Yeah, there are certain markets that can get um, pretty hot at times, and obviously Sydney and Melbourne have been that way. Um, my, my 
strong belief is that there is a, a cycle that's been researched by an Australian guy called Phil Anderson. He's researched it right back to records began in around the 1820s. There's a cycle of property that runs for around about um, 18.6 years. <laughs> it tends to be about 14 years up and about four years um, kind of down or flat. And that seems to be running out all the time. And I don't know why it is. Um, I don't know whether it's God-ordained or what. He tends to work in rhythms and things. Um, uh, but uh, it's, it's there and it's existed. Um, we tend to follow the US market. We tend to be about a year behind the US market. And I think that the property market overall will continue to grow. And I know that's a big statement at the moment, uh, but I feel that they will continue to grow um, uh, there's a number of reasons why I believe that in Australia, but yeah, I think that um, property markets will continue to grow, but there'll be pockets that will obviously at any one time will grow faster than others. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. We're talking money today. Darren Lordenbach is our guest, a financial planner of 28 years. He's about to release a book called God's Money Matters. And Darren, uh, the 16th of August, that's release date for you, isn't it? Uh, can you pre-order your book? Uh, you, you can't pre-order it actually at the moment, but I would take a list of people um, just if they email me at, um, at God's Money Matters. Um, you know, it's just Darren at godsmoneymatters.com then I'd certainly put them on the list. That'd be great. Um, yeah, so it's, it's exciting, uh, actually. Uh, it it kind of came about in a strange way, but um, it's there and it's happening. And um, I've got a nice Christian publishing house in Dallas, Texas, who are publishing for me. And um, they're quite excited about having me on board and uh, we'll be able to buy it through different agencies like Amazon and, and the like. So that'll be great. Okay, 16th of August, the proposed release date for God's Money Matters. Listen, let me take you back to something important I think you were talking about in the first segment. Uh, The idea of perhaps if you're not an investor and you're a Christian and you have a few spare dollars, uh, you said for as little as $200 you could be into an index fund and uh, you could begin to become an investor. Is uh, so two hundred dollars is it's a fairly low level start out, and and and, and I suppose you wouldn't see a, a huge return on that. But uh, when you're talking about returns, you're sort of talking about percentages and those sorts of things rather than actual dollar amounts, aren't you? That's right. And obviously, um, starting with a little is uh, you know a good way to start. It's better than not starting at all. Um, and once you start, you, you start to educate yourself because you start to care a little bit more about where your money's going. Um, a lot of people would have index funds and other kind of managed funds within their super fund anyway. So um, learning about it in um, a more obvious way, investing that little bit of cash that they've got at the end of the week uh, may also help their decisions with their super fund as well. Um, the good thing about index funds is they're very cheap, very accessible, uh, very cheap to get in, in and very low levels of investment required. Um, it, very easy access uh, and, as I say, that wide variety of access to a, a, um, to a, a, a plethora of shares. Um, and so, yeah, it's a great way to start. Uh, the, other, the other interesting thing, Neil, that... You know, Warren Buffett, most people would know Warren as one of the wealthiest men in the world and made most of his money in shares. Um, He has said in his will that his recommendation to his family is that when he passes, that they should invest in index funds. So he's a man who's made um, billions of dollars 
in the share market um, has said, buy index funds. Don't try to be clever and buy particular shares and, and try to speculate, just buy index funds. And if he's going to give that advice to his family, then I think um, as one of the most successful investors that's ever lived, we probably need to listen to that. Uh, well, it's uh, it's fun to be in control, but uh, you may not have the wisdom that's being applied to how the money is invested. So uh, when you've got uh, so-called uh, experts who are actually doing that investing on your behalf, you might hope that there's going to be a return at the end of the day. Absolutely. And remember, if we're focused on the income side of it, we're not looking at the capital value fluctuations. Then all we're really focusing on is that income coming out of those shares. Um, and for young people, they could reinvest that income and just build their portfolio um, and eventually, uh, at some stage, stop that reinvestment and hope to use that, that income um, as passive income, an income that can come in um, maybe through their later days. Well, we'll talk some more about shares. Let's come back to the basic family money management that we need to have. Uh, what's, the, what's the best tip for, uh, say, uh, bank accounts and how we run our bank accounts at home uh, in order to actually you know, free us up to be able to understand what's happening with our money? Yeah, it's a great question, Neil, because, and you've nailed it with bank accounts. It, it sounds strange, but it's probably the number one area that people get right or wrong. Um, and it's one of the small things that can make a huge difference. And in fact, in my 28 years of financial planning, the feedback that I received um, that was most life-changing for people in their cash flow management and their family uh, money management was uh, having separate bank accounts. Um, back many years ago, uh, when we were paid in cash, uh, there, you know, there was an old saying of grandma's jars or the envelope system um, where we would allocate certain parts of our, our money to certain things within um, maybe jars or envelopes. I remember uh, when I was a teenager, as I got paid, I'd put a certain amount of uh, money aside in my wallet in a different section, and that would be my petrol money. And I'd put some money, other money aside for some different things like entertainment. Um, and so today we have the technology to be able to do this electronically. And um, so setting up separate bank accounts with, uh, is a very, very good thing to do. A lot of people say, oh, I want to use an offset account against my mortgage or I'm going to use um, just one bank account because that's simple. But it's proven actually that it's no, nowhere near as successful as having the separation. Um, I'll give you an example. I have a holiday account. We put money into that every week. Um, we're hoping to go on holiday um, soon. I always pay for my holidays in cash. I don't use credit cards. Um, and it's wonderful for me to see my holiday account increasing. Um, we also have a giving account and we have um, an emergency fund. We also have a car account. And that a car account just deals with some of the lumpy expenses of owning a car and also um, has a small element of saving there for the next car because it's reasonable to assume that at some stage in the future I'll need to upgrade my car or, or change my car. So putting funds aside means that I, I can know how much is in those accounts at any one time for that particular purpose. And it means I'm not using um, money that's for daily bills um, you know, when I'm buying those things. So it, it just gives, just that one foundational thing uh, gives people a lot of clarity around their money management. We are taking calls, 1-800-316-316. You might have a question, you might have a scenario to run by our guest. Let's take a call. Bruce is in Echuca in Victoria. Hello, Bruce. Welcome along. Yes, hello. Hi, Bruce. What are your thoughts? Do you have a question? Yes. 
he was mentioning uh, just before that uh, if you had some spare money, put it in the shares. Well, you could put it in shares. I don't know which way you were saying it. But I've got some spare money at the moment, and I'm just thinking of putting it in shares, and I'm just wondering what your opinion is. All right. Well, let's... uh, Darren, your thoughts for Bruce? Yeah, Yeah, and Bruce, obviously, um, I can't give you a personal recommendation because I don't know your your actual full financial situation, but let's assume that that money is available for uh, long-term investment. So we're not just sitting it there for a week or two. We're not just sitting there for a month or two. We're looking at longer term. And true true investing is really where you put money aside that you're never going to need again. Uh, yes. With the may, idea may that you, I, may you I may... May I interrupt? Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite constant. I'm quite constant. Uh, I, I know about shares and so forth. Uh, I've been doing it for about 20 years, but I've just, it's just I was listening to the station and uh, I was wondering what your thoughts were at this present time. Okay, so uh, some current market trends. Is that what you're talking right, about, yes, Bruce? Please. Yes, please. Okay, mar- market okay, trends. Uh, your thoughts on uh, current market trends, Daniel, uh, Darren? Yeah, um, okay, thanks for the clarification, um, Bruce and, and Neil. I, I, my view is that the markets and, and my investment position personally is that the markets will continue to rise. They always rise on a wall of fear. My belief is that they'll rise until around about 2019, where we may get a little bit of pullback. Um, but then I believe that they will power on to probably um, mid-2020s. So around 2025, 26, they'll continue to power on. Uh, and then after that, we probably will get another correction uh, because they tend to come. Uh, and there's a trend around that. Uh, we've seen them come before and they'll come again, that's for sure. But shares always rise on a wall of fear. So there's always all this fear and all this uncertainty. And if we look at the US markets and the UK markets, up until last week, they were hitting record highs. And yet it's not a time of certainty in the world at the moment. Um, one of the other reasons for my thinking is that uh, I was reading something yesterday and there is trillions and trillions of dollars, not billions, but trillions of dollars sitting in people's accounts and in business accounts that could be invested in the share market as soon as there's a feeling of some type of certainty. Now, what typically happens with people is they start to get certain after the event. <laughs> so the share market might have reported a rise of 10 or 15 or 20 percent and then people say well now i'll jump in <laughs> okay um and and there's a lot of money sitting on the sidelines that could do that um which would obviously push the market a bit higher again but often that's too late bruce yeah, from achuka bruce does that yeah. uh, does that answer your question yes 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 thank okay. you very much I think uh, I think what you're saying is that we ought to be fairly confident and uh, when everyone is uh, crying fear, 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 that is the time to be thinking about uh, being progressive with your investment in shares. Uh, and uh, as you say, Darren, uh, if you wait until uh, everyone's feeling confident, you've waited too long. That's right. Um, there's an old saying, if the taxi driver gives you a share tip, tip it means the market's about to collapse. So, you know, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek. But it, it, the whole point is that it's if everybody's feeling confident about shares, it might be a time to get out. Um, although, see, my, my focus really, though, for me personally and my particular share, uh, opinion on, on buying shares is that you do buy them for the long term for the income. And so, therefore, when the market goes down, all I'm interested in doing is buying more if I've got money. 
I'm not interested in getting out. I'm not interested. I'm not going to be worried about it. I'm saying, well, let's let's go back to that cafe story uh, scenario, Neil, for a moment. If let's say that that cafe was for sale for two for three hundred thousand dollars, and we felt it was a good deal, so you and I decided to go and buy that um, because we're buying it for the cash flow. But the, let's say. Uh, we're about to settle on the, on the cafe next week. Darren, I don't week. like to cut in on the story, but we're yep. about to go to news, so we might have to wait until okay. after the news. Uh, but we're talking a very a vibrant conversation, in fact. So you might have your own insight to make. Sometimes we err on the side of caution. We're certainly talking not so much caution today. one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. back with more after the news. So, Darren, let's take a call. Dave is in Brisbane in Queensland. Hello, Dave. Welcome along to 2020. Oh, g'day, Neil. It's uh, Dave here. How are you going? Very well, Dave. I recognise that voice. What are your thoughts? <laughs> Well, I just wanted to ask Darren about the median price wave because roughly in Sydney in the last three years, the median price has gone up uh, 50%. In Melbourne, it's gone up 33%. And Brisbane, uh, 15%. Uh, is this... I wanted Darren's comments on the median price wave, what he thinks of it, and whether that uh, southeast Queensland is the next place to have... Uh, double-digit growth in residential housing. Darren, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's a very good question, Dave, and thanks for the question. Um, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one to predict, of course, how property markets will move. But typically, um, but if we look at bigger trends, and if I can deal with that for a moment, um, and what I, what, what I suppose I look at, first of all, is that, that what I would call the, the macro, really macro, world macro trends in property, and what the trends show over time. And the research shows um, that when the US property market tends to, is moving up, we tend to follow that about a year later, and the UK is a few months after the US. That's certainly been happening for some time now. Um, and so that that always is a good indication um, of what's going to happen. And all I can say is that, you know, history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it does tend to rhyme. Um, as far as the local situation is concerned, uh, I, I don't have any strong opinions on where uh, southeast Queensland will go. My feeling is that it's um, been lagging for some time and uh, these it, that tends to tell you there might be an indication that it will catch up in some way. Now, when I say catch up, catch up as a percentage, not necessarily as a um, as a price. So, do I think the median price in southeast Queensland will get to a million dollars, like it is in Sydney? No, I don't think it'll get there in the short term. Um, over time, I believe it will, but it, will, it could be a long time. Um, yeah, does that answer your, your question, Dave? Yeah, that does. Yeah. Okay, Dave from Brisbane, thanks so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in our conversation today, you might have a question, you might have a scenario to run by our guest. Let's hear from Joyce in Queensland. Hello, Joyce, welcome along. Hello. hello. Hi, Joyce. What are your thoughts? Do you have a question? Yes, I do. I just wondered um, what Darren's opinion was on investing in silver, silver bullion or gold bullion, and whether it's... um yeah, whether it's a good whether it's a good thing to do or whether it's it's not. So I just wanted his opinion. Darren, silver or gold? Yeah, thanks, Joyce. Um, my view is like in Christian circles, uh, I will I'll state that there's a number of people going around that feel that 
Um, bullion, silver bullion and gold bullion is kind of God's, God's currency. You know, the streets of heaven are uh, laden with gold, mm-hmm. uh, etc. Um, and, you know, gold is an eternal type um, um, mineral or, so, or you know, uh, commodity or something like that. I'm not of the opinion um, of that. Um, I think that when they were talking in the Bible, where it talks about um, the streets being laden with gold is, is an analogy for us to get our heads around. It's a visual picture for hmm. us to, to understand that it's an awesome place to be. Um, I don't think gold has um, any specific intrinsic value other than what it's used for, so for in jewellery or for electronics. Um, my opinion is, personally, I don't invest in gold. Um, okay. Gold hasn't had a good trend of growth over a long period of time. If you look at the any of the graphs on gold, uh, the gold price, over a long period of time it's done pretty much nothing. Um, and gold doesn't produce an income. And whenever I invest, I believe in ha- having two aspects to my investment. It must have two aspects. It must have the potential for capital growth, mm. but first and foremost, it must have income. Okay. Um, so, and gold and silver don't produce income. Okay. Okay, thank, thank you, you so much to Joyce in Queensland. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You might have your own finance question to ask. We are talking not only the family budget, but what do you do when you've got a few extra dollars left over at the end of the week? What sort of risk might you take uh, that might see uh, some increase to your wealth? Uh, before the news, I cut you off in the middle of a story. We were talking about confidence. We were talking about share price. Uh, We were talking about a cafe. Now, we came back to this cafe story of yours. Uh, Just recount for us what we were talking about in that cafe, Darren. Well, Neil, you and I agreed to buy a cafe down the street for, say, $300,000 in our story. And and we we, we agreed that we were going to buy it because we wanted to focus on income. And over time, we'd hoped that we would be able to produce additional income um, by being a good good business managers and owners, and at some time in the future we may get some capital growth out of that investment and and um, then I likened that to the share market and the fact that we are buying a share of a business when we 're buying into the share market, and therefore we should be thinking about buying it for cash flow purposes um, for income purposes, not for capital growth purposes where most people focus on so the, where we 're going with the story Neil is that there is this uh, fear of share markets going up and down all the time. And at the moment, you know, we've seen a, f- a week or so of the share market going down. Um, and uh, it worries people. And uh, if we come back to the cafe story, if we were going to buy that cafe next week, and you and I had agreed to buy that cafe, and yet tonight the cafe owner, the current cafe owner, calls us up and says, we're not going to sell it for, for 300000 We've just decided we're going to sell it to you for $250,000. Nothing has changed. Everything else is equal. Would we be excited or would, would we be worried? Well, I imagine we'd be excited if we thought it was worth $300,000, but we were going to get it at the bargain price of 250000 And that's exactly right. And so when I see the share market drop, that's exactly the same way I think about it. See, there's a difference between share value and share price. Um, and... And the problem is we get caught up in, um, you know, there's a difference between the two. Um, and so if we saw that that cafe was worth 300000 so that's the share value, but then the, the price went down, we would get excited because we, we, we would feel that we're buying something for underprice. And also the cash flow of that cafe hasn't changed. It's just the price of buying into that cash flow. 
So to me, I'd be very excited. Um, I'd want I'd want to do a bit of research, but to find out why. But if all other things were equal, I'd be very excited. And that's exactly how I feel when the share market goes down. So when the share market goes down, I get excited because then I can buy more cash flow for my money. Does that make sense? It makes sense. And so uh, you wouldn't have to worry too much about the mechanics of all that and how it works if you're going, as you were suggesting, with an index fund. But if you are actually mm. picking and choosing companies to buy into, how do you actually make that assessment of uh, what's good value versus what's a good price? And the answer to that is not going to be, you're not going to satisfy <laughs> you very much because I'll tell you why. The, the, I, I, after 28 years of um, being a financial planner, I don't pick shares. Um, and I've learned that uh, even the professionals don't get it right. Um, so I, I just don't, don't do share picking. I just, just, I just don't go um, to that level. I don't believe that I've got the expertise, even after 28 years, to do that really accurately. I don't have all the information within the marketplace. I don't have the time. Um, and it's interesting if you look at I, I, one of the things I like to work to, towards is um, I like to work towards time proven. I look for things that are time proven, you know. And one of the things that they've found is that the average share trader in the United States, the average person who's trying to pick stocks in, in the United States, has underperformed the index. So what that means is that the index has done better than their share picking and trading. And that doesn't include brokerage. So if they're buying and selling and paying brokerage for the cost of entry and ex exit of those investments, they're even spending more. So what it says to me is those people would have been better off putting their money in an index fund and spending their day playing golf rather than spending their day trying to trade shares. Um, now, there are a few people that can do it very well. But in my, in, I've dealt with literally thousands of people in my career as a financial planner and I've only ever met two people who could trade shares successfully. Okay. Uh, that doesn't mean the odds are all that good if we give it a try ourselves if we're not particularly experienced. Uh, let me come with an obvious question here, though, Darren. If you're talking about index funds, are there good index funds and not-so-good index funds? I mean, nobody is sponsoring this segment at all. Uh, uh, is there, uh, are there some that you recommend to people? Is, uh, is there a certain sense in which, uh, yes, there are some with great reputation, there are some that are performing very well, others not performing so well? How do you make a choice on an index fund that might be uh, suitable for, uh, for getting involved in this sort of level of investment? Yeah, very good question. So the first thing you need to ask yourself is where do you want to invest? Do you want to invest in Australian shares or international shares or in Asian shares um, you know, where, or global shares? Once you've made that decision where you want to invest, then it's just a matter of going to um, time-proven index fund managers who can provide you with shares in that region. So in Australia, we have um, – there's two main ones that I, I use um, and use personally um, is – uh, one called Beta Shares, B-E-T-A Shares. So Beta Shares um, have index funds available that you can buy on the Australian stock market, um, and they have a variety of different options around that. But they are index funds. And the the, the other one that's been the, the, pretty much the inventor, as I understand it, of index funds is a company called Vanguard. And Vanguard. Um, I believe we created index funds originally. They've, they're, they've got a very good reputation um, and they've got a very wide variety of um, options that you can get into. So and they're, uh, worth, they're worth looking at. Okay, so there's a, there's a good lead there for those who might be thinking of uh, taking a deeper 
little exploration, uh, gaining some extra understanding of where they might uh, do some investing. And there's a couple of companies you've mentioned there, Beta Shares and Vanguard. And uh, they're not sponsors of this program, and uh, we'll take that no, as, uh, no. and you know, and uh, and I think uh, what we do need to do is uh, to say to listeners, uh, uh, make your own inquiries uh, out of those recommended uh, companies, and uh, and make sure that you are uh, even uh, getting some uh, some personal advice before actually taking a step. If if you're talking big mon- big amounts of money, is that the way you mm. sort of work? I mean, as a financial planner, as someone who gives advice, uh, you do have to be careful about giving specific advice. And uh, and I've asked you for a couple of recommendations, and I think that that's probably very valuable for people who are thinking about doing some investing. Uh, but uh, when you uh, when you give people advice, uh, you do have to be cautious, don't you? Absolutely, and and so um, and just to be clear, I'm no longer a financial planner. I might, I'm not licensed anymore. Um, so and so I, de- I definitely get no advantage out of anything I'm saying today. Uh, the the um, God's Money Matters is not a financial planning firm; it's a financial education. Um, kind of website so just to be clear on that the um those particular companies uh, are, are have a variety of different funds and it is very important for people to do their own research and make sure they they understand what they're investing in um it, it is important that um what, that they do their reading um those websites for vanguard and for beta shares and for other companies such as that if you do a google search on uh, index funds you know you're bound to find some um, a plethora of information. I would always say to people, um, get some advice from somebody who you've seen is financially successful and um, a good, wise money manager um, or a financial planner. And so look, Somebody who's been there and done that. Is it fair enough to say that if you're a member of a local church, and it could be a local church anywhere, uh, that there'll be some people who are within that local church who are very good investors, who have accumulated wisdom over many years, and they would be, no doubt, uh, very happy to talk to you about uh, your thoughts about investing. I mean, in church life, there's a sort of a family take-you-under-our-wing type of a feel, isn't there? And this is what I've noticed over many years in church life. Is that your experience too, Darren? Absolutely. Um, you know, success leaves clues. And so if, they, if you see somebody who's wise and managing money well, um, then um, seek their advice for sure and their counsel. I, I believe, uh, you know, in the house of the wise of many counsellors, um, I think that's a smart thing to do. And, and they may be able to point you in the right direction themselves, or they may actually point you to somebody they've been working with. They might have been working with a financial planner for a number of years and and that's, um, they might be able to refer you to that person, which would be a, a good tip. A biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. Darren Lordenbach, our guest. We're talking through issues to do with uh, the family budget. We're also talking about shares. We're talking about property. Uh, and, of course, with the general nature of uh, Australia being in a fairly strong economic position, given the latest results and uh, having not been in a recession for a long, long time, we're talking through uh, what you might be thinking about trends, uh, what you might be thinking about family finances. There may be time for another call or two, uh, but we'll just pursue uh, that question I was asking just before the break there, Darren. If we're talking, uh, you know, what's best, property or shares? Uh, what are your thoughts on, uh, on which is the leading investment uh, direction at the present time? 
Yeah, it's a good question, Neil. And I think, um, obviously, Aussies love their property investments. And I think um, the thing uh, for a lot of people is that they jump into property investments without really knowing what the outcome is that they're trying to achieve. And it sounds kind of strange, but I think what the, the answer to shares versus property is, is answered by a better question, which is saying, what is the outcome I'm looking for? Um, if we're looking for uh, something that's going to provide us really good cash flow, uh, passive income, income that I don't have to get up and, and earn, and I want a diversified portfolio, then shares is definitely the winner. And I know a lot of people will be saying, oh, Aaron doesn't know what he's talking about. But if you look at the numbers, um, shares give a, a, a dividend in Australia of around about 6% on average at the moment, and it's a tax advantage 6%. Uh, uh, whereas property, if you fully own a property, uh, on average it would give you a net two to three percent. So if we're comparing something that's going to give me passive income, I need to put a lot more money into property to get the same result. Having said that, um, I'm not against property investments, but it's about what is the outcome that I'm looking for. If I'm looking for capital growth, um, stability, and something I understand, well, property investments is, is easy because most of us live in a home and we understand it. When it comes to investing in property, though, I think there's um, a lot of, uh, there's, uh, there's some fundamental things that people need to understand. Um, one of the number one thing to understand is the only thing that goes up in value over a long period of time in property is the land. The buildings do not go up over time, and that's why the government gives us a 2.5% depreciation on buildings over 40 years. So what they're saying is 2.5% times 40 is 100%. They're saying over 40 years, the value of the building will be worth nothing. That's what the government's telling us. That's what the tax office is telling us. So we need to kind of listen to that. Yes. Well, uh, in fact, uh, depreciation of those buildings, in fact, uh, you are buying something that is going to cost a lot of money to maintain. I imagine that's the uh, uh, the reasoning behind that. There's, there's, there's the, the maintenance um, side of that, um, which again is an argument against um, property compared to shares for cash flow purposes, because once you buy a share, you don't have to pay any more money. Um, you don't have to do anything more. It's just a matter of sitting there and, and receiving the dividends. Um, whereas with a property, obviously there's the maintenance um, that needs to happen over time. There may be also the, the fact that it's a bit more active in that we need to seek tenants and manage that tenancy um, if it's a true investment. So um, there's, there's a, it's a big topic, but um, upshot is that uh, both are good. Um, it's not a bad thing to have a bit of money in both. Um, uh, God's not making any more land that I know about at the moment, so that is a finite commodity, although we seem to have a lot of it in Australia still. Um, in Australia, I think property investments are still going to run quite well for quite a long time, and I, and I know there would be a lot of people who would disagree with me on that, but one of the fundamental things I look at is... Um, vacancy rates and uh, the, the supply versus demand. And we're not in a position where the state, the United States was a number of years ago where they had um, high vacancy rates. So they had a whole lot of houses that weren't being rented. Um, we don't have that problem. We, haven't, we still have a shortage in many areas. In fact, the government has a national rental affordability scheme still in place that um, is designed to help landlords um, fund uh, tenancies for people. So that always gives me an indication that we still need more property. Uh, Darren, we have run out of time, uh, but a quick 30 seconds on the value of a Christian believer using uh, their prayer 
as a guide for uh, for investing? I mean, uh, relying on God, uh, being prayerful about investments. Uh, what do you advise people about that? Thirty seconds. Yeah, I'd, I'd, that's a good question. I'd um, advise them to uh, pray for for wise people to be in their council, and for them to have a peace, that they would have a peace about the investment they're going to make before they make it, and um, and pray about the purpose of that investment. Is it just about me, or is it to, to glorify God ultimately? So if I have more resources, I can give more. Um, John Wesley used to say, you should earn as much as you can so you could save as much as you can so you can give as much as you can. And he ended up giving about 97% of his income away. So I think that's not a bad way to live. Okay. Well, Darren Laudenbach, our guest, he's got a new book coming out. It's uh, 16th of August is the release date for God's Money Matters. Darren founded God's Money Matters. And there is a website, godsmoneymatters.com. And if you visit that website, you'll be able to pre-order the book. Darren, great getting your insights today. We'll do this again sometime soon. But thanks so much for taking some time to share your heart with us on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Appreciate having me. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand. Or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.